Hey folks, we're back. New episode of the Training Make podcast. And Max, I was actually thinking uh, of a new name for our for our listeners, the Sweet Sixteen, because there's sixteen listeners oh, now. We, we picked up one. We actually yeah. picked up two, but we lost one. He uh, passed away, ninety eight years old. So well, he it, lived uh, a good life. It also lowered our demographic, though. Now the average age of our listener is twenty seven instead of sixty one. So, <laughs> so here's to you, the, the sweet 16. Uh, today, we want to talk about something that is not political at all. Yep. In fact, if you wanted to, to talk about politics or listen to, to politics, this is not the place. Nope. We're going to talk about something that has very little relevance very, to... Very isolated scenario very isolated small localized incident type yes. deal here so we're going to run this one back it's a, this is all about international weightlifting uh mm. the iwf and it's nice max that you have been to multiple international meets with lifters so you have uh, you had a front row seat to the old guard if you will and if we run it back all the way to 2016 after uh, it might've been before. Yeah. 2016, the retests of mm. a lot of different things, they were blown up because of the German documentary yeah. by the group ARD. Yep. Um, and, and those retests really did light a fire under the asses of everyone yeah. to, to take a closer look at Thomas Ion, the, president of the international weightlifting federation and the corruption within the powers that be there fast forward to i think earlier last year same group the ard they put together an even more effective documentary wherein they interviewed uh, a couple of people and had hidden cameras and the people were talking about what they were getting away with. We actually did an episode on that. Um, they were talking about having, uh, you know, other people take piss tests for them. They would pay the testers who would come. Uh, I mean, these, the, the coaches were the Moldovan doctor basically was like, yeah, we, we did this all the time. Yep. Um, Fast forward to now, they, the McLaren group, an outside group, did a uh, very, very in-depth report on the corruption in the IWF, uh, and their findings are, again, equally as insane. We knew about these things, but we didn't know the specificity of them, and so well, now we're going to share them. We also, yeah, I mean, this stuff is not, there's nothing new that exists. I think anyone who's been involved in weightlifting for enough time pretty quickly gathers that there's something going on. And especially like really more so when the old guard, like, you know, in the fifties and sixties, everybody was taking steroids, every U S Russia, the whole world, because it was a different, it was, knew it was something that no one really knew much about and so that culture kept existing but at some point it was like okay we're gonna stop doing drugs they're not we're not allowing these in sports 
they started drug testing, you know, probably early 70s. Um, and the United States kind of went their own way and they're like, okay, well, we're just going to follow the rules yeah, as well as they could, uh, as well as they did. There was still systematic doping, not at the same level as the rest of the world, but it existed here and there. Fast forward a little bit further, you get the 90s, get to the 90s, and the late 80s, I believe, steroids became a class, like a Schedule C, uh, Schedule three substance. So they're basically the same as, you know, selling crack cocaine. Um, so they're illegal now. And that's when it really kind of changed for the U.S. a lot. A lot of the drug use became, you know, okay, we're done with it. They moved on. Obviously, the rest of the world kept going with, with the drug thing. And there was two narratives, two things going in parallel here. One is that the U.S. And, and other countries as well, the Western world was basically cleaning up their act as the rest of the world continued to pursue the course of how do we continue using drugs? How do we continue this? And just figure out a way around it. And so, you know, they would basically buy the same equipment that the drug testers had and just figure out a way to, to circumvent it. And then you saw things, you know, like, you know, there was always this understanding, like, we know they're doing it because we were all doing it before. And you could see the difference. And then we stopped doing it and they kept getting better. And we kind of started falling down the ranks. And so everyone knew, everyone's kind of known if, if you've been in the culture long enough that, yeah, the rest of the world has been playing this game. The extent to which we knew it existed was not as clear for everybody as it was for them. Like we, we, you know, there's people that maybe didn't understand that, hey, you know, every single Russian weightlifter is probably taking steroids or every single country is, you know, doing drugs or paying off, you know, officials or, you know, what is the, what is the depth of all of this going? Is it just that there's some people in Russia that are, oh yeah, they're kind of taking it or somebody in Moldova's, you know, couple guys or bad apples or dirty, like we didn't know the extent and there's always rumors and all these like hearsay and backroom kind of stories like, Oh, they've got a test and they know how to do this. And so like that has always been the narrative for us is that we knew stuff like this was going on. Everybody has heard a story or has, you know, you know things have made the rounds and so everyone's kind of curious, Oh, what's really going on? You know, is everybody at the Olympics dirty? Are they not? 2016 comes around. You've got the ARD report. Uh, later that year, the next year, Icarus documentary comes out, really blows things open more. Um, you know, Rodchenkov exposes this whole thing. Uh, but then you had the retests, which were like the most eye-opening experience, like 50-plus weightlifters failing drug tests. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's every single top athlete. I mean, that, that's such a – there were more people probably not failing tests than were. I mean, that's obviously a joke, but, you know, now this test or now this new uh, ARD, uh, you know, the, the secret recordings and stuff. And then finally this McLaren report comes out and, and we're finally seeing what, which one of those, which, which of those stories, which of those things that we've heard and the, you know, what is the depth of all of this going with, with complete specificity. I mean, yeah, it's right. a 120 really just, page report. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going down, and that's 120, 119 pages longer than anything I've ever read in my life. So you know, this this is a really 
eye-opening like hey now we're finally getting evidence and, and corroboration of the the rumors and the hearsay and the the things you've been hearing for decades about what's going on so um we're not going to i'm we're not going to read the 120 pages but we'll there are it, people on the yeah. internet who are going to i'm I, after I'm this be... podcast zach will read the entire thing uh so well <laughs> What's interesting is you can kind of, it's like literally an encyclopedia build. So you can like yeah. read different chapters. Yeah. So like there's like different, you know, different pieces. I actually might dive into it a little bit deeper, sure. but luckily uh, Dr. Baffa, who are you friends with Max? You yeah, know him? I know Dr. Yeah. Baffa. Uh, he's with All Things Gym. He also does announcing. He's, he's been around weightlifting quite a while. Yep. He did a little summary here. Uh, so the, he, he did like a thing on key points. So the first one yeah. he, he says is the culture of fear under the autocratic leadership of Ion, the IWF maintained a culture of fear that prevented people from speaking out. Even after he resigned, they contacted over 20 member federation presidents and or general secretaries four responded and only one provided any information. So, yep. so that right there is basically saying, Hey, don't talk. Um, and I'm wondering what it is that, uh, Ion had on these people to make them not speak. Right. Well, like if there was blackmail or if it was like just some sort of code or something like that. I think there was a lot of, there's a threat, right? It's, it's, and this is like, I'm just going to say this kind of stuff because it paints a big picture for people. Doping control and, and the way it was, was sort of the eye-opening moment I had was when I was with the Bulgarians and they, they referred to it as doping control. And it was explained like, well, that's how you control everything because it's all corrupt. Corruption is saturating the entire sports world. And it saturates weightlifting more so than probably everything. But if you have drug testing, now you can control the maximum of ability of people. You can say, look, if you go above this number or if you try to win, you're going to fail a test. If they can actually manipulate tests to be positive or negative, you suddenly have control of everybody and you start selling results and selling medals. Because now it's a situation of like, you know, hey, no one's going to speak out because then your country's going to get slammed. You're going to lose all your, your chances. You're going to fail tests. Like that's the essence of what Ion, I think, created in a culture of fear is that, hey, he's in charge. You do what he says. You pay when you pay. If you don't, you're gone. So there's actually a, a really good example of just that. The, the like, complete and utter control of the results yeah and that is with the azerbaijan azerbaijan is it Bajan or Bajan? i don't know azerbaijanian uh athletes who literally there was not a, a clean lifter like yep th there has never been a clean azerbaijanian yeah. Yeah. lifter like that team is i mean that's kazakhstan it's the same thing like their their entire team was popped but um, the two main ones were Valentin Hristov mm -hmm. and um, Boyanka Kostova. Oh, uh, yeah. And they talk about how if you want medals, yeah. you pay. 
So we'll, we'll get into that. That's yeah, yeah. one of the major, major findings of this whole thing is, is the interworkings of payment with doping tests and how that affects the results. It's yeah. kind of that triangle. So the next part is he, he talks about buying votes. Um, controlled by, by Ion maintained through buying votes was maintained through buying votes member federations were bribed to support him and his candidates when voting members went to vote they would have to take a picture of their ballot and this photographic evidence would ensure they were paid i'm sure this was also wire transferred money to some sort of bank account or maybe it wasn't honestly maybe it was as ghetto as like hey man i'll send you a venmo I think it was like a, a three-card Monty-style banking system where there was money coming in and being shuffled around from bank account to bank account and transferred and moved and just just like the, a confusing web of of you know this this like shifting of illegal monies to prevent you know sort of obvious accounting from catching it. I guess. Um. The next is finances. There is at least $10.4 million unaccounted for. IWF used hidden bank accounts, endless exchanging of funds and transfers to hide and divert money, just like what you were saying. Uh, They expect there to be more money that is unaccounted for. So at least 10.4. Ayan was the sole person responsible for deciding if and when cash was reported and accounted for. (laughs) McLaren used phrases, used the phrases tyranny of cash, a wash in cash to describe the IWF. The financial records are little more than bits and pieces, according to McLaren, which makes it absolutely impossible to determine how much money was used for legitimate IWF operations. People were told not to ask questions of Ayan regarding financial matters. Okay. This gets into the, the the point that we all want to talk about is the doping cases 40 positive doping findings remain in a limbo mm. hidden in iwf records due to incomplete results management these include gold and silver medalists from the world championships their findings support the german documentary's claim about aziri athletes competing despite having returned positive test results the results were delayed to allow for competition. This is a similar thing that happened with uh, Ilya, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, interestingly, no evidence of misconduct was found in their investigations to the Hunedo laboratory, which is very weird to me. And we can discuss that a little bit further. Uh, IWF is in need of resuscitation and restoration per McLaren. His organization outlined a series of actions to di- to take in response to the findings. Um, Dr. Ian would often stoke the ember, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about that, Max. Um, yeah. The, well, this, this is cool. So this kind of leads us into the Aziri thing. So the uh, president of, this is the, this is a, little blog post from a guy named Brian Oliver on inside the games. 
uh, and it's called, and, and the title is President of Azerbaijan Thanked Ion for Delaying Doping Suspension. Yeah. Says the McLaren report. So this article is insane, right? This is, <laughs> this is crazy, dude. McLaren focused on one athlete, the Bulgaria-born serial doper Valentin Hristov, to show how favor was shown in Azerbaijan, which Mm -hmm. paid a $500,000 fine for multiple doping offenses in 2014. Yep. Hristov switched nationality with another Bulgarian, Boyanka Kostova, in 2011 for a transfer fee of $528,000 paid by the Azerbaijan government to the Bulgarian Weightlifting Federation. Mm-hmm. He won a bronze medal at London 2012, subsequently forfeited when he was one of the 60 weightlifters to have been caught doping uh, with the retests that we talked about before in 2016. Ristov tested positive twice in quick succession in April and June, but was allowed to continue competing. Yep. Including at the IWF World Championships in October, three months after the IWF knew he tested positive. Mm -hmm. Okay. This guy has, I don't know, five positive tests and is lifting (laughs) like nothing happened. Okay. Ristov is currently serving an eight-year suspension won a gold medal for Azerbaijan in the IWF Baku Grand Prix in 2013 and was not notified until his positive test until April 2014, a year after it happened. When his two-year suspension began, it was backdated to the time of the original test a year earlier. That's convenient. Although Hristov was disqualified from the competitions in in which he should have never competed, he continued competing and effectively served only a year's suspension. Nice. A letter sent to Ristoff by the IWF, IWF was dated November 18, 2013, but investigators found by studying the document's metadata that it was in fact created in January 2014. Uh, a total of 18 Azerbaijanian Azerbaijan weightlifters were tested positive for steroids in 2013, according to the IWF website. According to the letter sent to Ayan from President Aliyev, it appeared that notification of doping positives by these 18 were deliberately delayed until after the Baku competition. And then this is a quote. This intentional delay allowed these 18 athletes to compete in various championships, distorting the competition results and denying other athletes the opportunities to legitimately compete and win medals. The details have been forwarded to the, to the WADA, basically World Anti-Doping Agency, for investigation. So this is, this is insane, okay? Um, but it, it goes even further into Turkey, which is a very similar... Mm-hmm. Um, thing, but this is eye-opening. Uh, the report said that in the 10-year period between 2009 and 2019, IN had collected $3 million of doping fines in cold, hard cash. He is the only person who receives cash fines. 
with some rare exceptions when other members of staff acted on his behalf. It has been established during this investigation that Dr. Ian is the sole person making all cash deposits into the IWF bank accounts. That, so then here we go. This is where McLaren said the period of 2009 to 2019 was the worst decade of doping the sport of weightlifting has ever experienced. There were 58 positive tests in the retesting of samples of Beijing and London games. And the updated total is now 60. There were also 24 doping violations in, at Houston. That Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 24 out of 200. Ridiculous. Um, and then over the decade, there have been 615 confirmed anti-doping rule violations. Wow. So we now have the, the depth of the corruption and we have it with utter specificity and it is insane that we've made it to this point uh without the the death of this sport yeah i mean it's kind of a this is this is we at some point we knew we knew he was going to be gone but we didn't know who it was going to be that replaced him and the fact that this happens now is really probably one of the most positive things we could expect in the sport. It's, it's, it's brutal to hear, but it gives us a chance now to say, hey, like this is what happened. This is who was in charge. He's gone now. We have to put somebody in place that can, you know, we have to put a system in place that prevents this from happening, um, you know, which is, is a positive thing. So it's like, we don't have to look at this as this is, you know, well, shit, like, like, I think this can be spun positively for the IOC to say, hey, you, weightlifting is cleaning up. Um, I think what it is, what is amazing about it is the level to which all of those rumors and all of that stuff you heard for decades is true. It's it's not even like it's not even like oh yeah it was kind of like that it's like yeah every single thing I remember you know Martin Bulgarian lifter you know telling me about drug tests that like oh yeah when they come to test Milan Dobrev they show up and they he just pees you know uh, he pees in a cup and then they just dump it out I was like what like yeah this is a drug test or like you know so and so comes and you know like oh you have to like you're not one of the best stories I ever heard 2004 Olympics. Uh, there's a Bulgarian lifter, super heavyweight, Velichko Cholokov. He's since passed away. Uh, he was not supposed to place as high as he did. And he was supposed to place lower than like, there was, I think a Ukrainian kid there who was pretty young. And, you know, it had kind of been arranged like, hey, you can get this high, but that's as high as you're allowed to go. Like, don't don't go beyond bronze or don't go beyond fourth place. Right. And the culture, these guys were telling me the story like the culture was just like, yeah, OK, you that's what you do. You play the game. Right. Someone gives you money to do it. Someone, you know, kind of like, you know, the countries who are, are doing this or there's there's money exchanging hands. There's this level of corruption. So. He, you know, he ends up lifting great, 
right? And lifting's way better than he expected and gets silver. And the Ukrainian guy, I think, was like, just looked like he had no business being there at all. Just like he was all over the place. He comes home and Martin was like, yeah, he was like so scared for his life that he had violated the, the, like, the unwritten rules. Like you were not supposed to get a silver medal. And it wasn't necessarily his fault. The other guy lifted like shit and he just lifted well. And it was unintentional, right? Yeah. It's like you're trying to – you're supposed to throw the fight. Yeah. But the guy is such a pathetic opponent that you accidentally knock him out, right? Even though you're pulling your punches. Right, right. Uh, and so he's like – he hid in the mountains, like in the mountain villages for like months after that, after the Olympics. That is Just ridiculous. Terrified, terrified. He's since died. He's since passed away. And, you know, I, I don't remember exactly the circumstances. Uh, you know, stories like this were not uncommon to hear other lifters another Bulgarian guy, you know, passing away at like 30 something years old, just dying all of a sudden being the only guy that didn't fail a drug test. There was a 2008 or eight ish, I think, uh, you know, 10 or 11 Bulgarians failed the drug test all for Diana ball. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But they were all in camp. All of them were in a training camp. And the only guy who wasn't there didn't fail a test. And then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward years later, that guy drops dead on a Friday night and the funeral is on a Saturday. Not even, not even time for an autopsy or anything. Yeah. And so the insanity, I mean, you know, hearing it and seeing now, finally, there's like, look at how much, the big thing is look at how much money is changing hands. $520,000 for an athlete transfer. I mean, that goes, fuck. that goes into, yeah, I, well, it, yeah I, I thought, I think they gave it to Bulgaria. Right. But, but think about the money that's changing hands, right? Right. The right. money that's changing hands for things like that to, to put this into perspective for people. I mean, no, in the U S weightlifting is not that big. <laughs> um, but like, when you see, it's not that the sport is that beloved. It's the political leverage you have when you're winning sports that makes it valuable to these countries, right? If you're a small country that has no real military might, you, you know, you're, you're not going to like impose your impressive will onto your people and show people how great and powerful you are by, you know, rolling out three tanks and an old busted up airplane right? Like you just don't have that power. Unlike, you know, bigger countries that do have presence, you know, have nuclear power and have, you know, I mean, the United States doesn't have to display its power. It's, it's obvious how, you know, dominant they, the country is. Russia has this kind of thing, but, but when you use athletes in sport to demonstrate that, look, we've won weightlifting medals. Look how powerful our, our citizenry is. Look at uh, how dominant we are in these then you start to see where the money makes a difference. And that's where Ion is exploiting a lot of these smaller countries for, uh, you know, hey, play the game, pay the money, and you get the wins. You get the medals. I think, um, I think it's interesting that everyone was like, hey, this sport, this little sport that no one knows about in the States, uh, this is our baby because we're winning medals yeah. in it. Like, 
to have Kazakhstan walk away with a gold medal in anything in the Olympics games is a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Azerbaijan and, and tiny countries like Bulgaria. Like, that's a big deal. And so those countries, it's in their best interest to protect whatever they have, whatever skin they yeah. have in the game, because now they have something that they can beat Americans in. I mean, sure. I'm sorry to say this, but if they, they could take all the Diana ball they want, they're not going to beat us in track. Yeah. They're not going to, yeah, they're not, it doesn't matter. They're not going to beat us even in, in gymnastics. Yeah. They're, they're not going to surely not going to beat us in swimming are the way that the way that all three of those sports. And I'd say those are the largest sports uh, in the Olympics, the way that all of those are set up in America, it's just too dominant. We just have too vast of uh, a talent pool but this little sport of weightlifting is something that these people own they dominate it yeah i mean you look at 2009 to 2019 that's when all of us were just like yeah fuck it the eastern country blocks this is weightlifting is their sport and and it's like yeah we 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 just suck and it it really does it really is eye-opening to kind of see the end of the narrative because now We have a beginning, middle, and end. We know, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've read, oh, you know, it's just a country systematic. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they, they just have better systems than we do. They have better technique because they have better systems. Like yeah. there's more. Better kids. technique. They train harder. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're, Max, they're selected at young ages. Yeah. That whole I mean, system is just hilarious. Sorry, let me cut you off. No, no, no. I mean, you lived with these with these guys these criminals (laughs) the the selection process is so different than what i mean the stories i've heard from direct from the mouth athletes that were in the sports school you know martine was telling me he's like oh i couldn't do like you're supposed to do 15 pull-ups i couldn't do one and they're like oh your dad's a good lifter you can go yeah it's cool like they just didn't give a shit kids taking you know like their thing was like illin stories directly about being put into a group of kids training they were given you know we'll say vitamins Dianable. Uh, yeah given drugs the best of that group moved on to the next group and then the same process and the same you know russian coaches talking about giving kids that were you know girls that were 11 and boys that were like 13 you know drugs at that point and and you know it's like this was the system. This is the selection. This is the, it is a, everything was built around the drugs. Martine once told me probably the, the most, you know, hopefully this is not true. But what he said once, he said, you know, weightlifting and the drugs, were, they were born together and they'll die together. There's no way to separate the two. And, you know, I hope that's not true. I hope that this this thing and the United States and the Western world being maybe more prevalent in the governing body of weightlifting can change that because if they can eliminate it to a some degree, or if they can reduce it to the point that it isn't as big of an advantage as it used to be, right? Better talent, better training, the really capable drug testing, really enforced rules, um, you know, it still exists. It's still going to be there, but you might be able to mitigate it to a very low level. That might change the entire field of the sport. The entire thing will be different, especially if it's not based on corruption. But you know, it's a it's 
all of that stuff we heard, all the bullshitters, all the people that would you know, talk about, oh, you know, you're, the U.S. sucks because they suck and everyone's great because, they, you know, and the, you know, the newest one is China, right? The, the right. China, China nut huggers out there that are absolutely convinced that China is, oh, they're doing it clean and they've never passed drug tests or never failed drug tests. And like, it's the same fucking system. Like you're looking at the same thing. It's China's flavor of the same system that's existed in the rest of the world. Um, they're doing it better than everyone else, but it's the same shit. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to think about China because they're, they're sort of like an anomaly in this, right? They, they, everything, I mean, do we everything's, know? Well, do we everything's know? happening, right? And China's just out of it. Do we just, know those 40 drug tests aren't Chinese? I don't know. That, that would be very interesting, those 40, 40 drug tests in limbo. Uh, I want to talk about what Martine yeah. says, that, that um, weightlifting was, you know, was born with drugs and it will die without drugs. And I think that that could have been true had weightlifting kept yeah. – if, if, if had weightlifting been more of this kind of back burner sport. Um, and then until recently, I mean, we got – you have – Maddie Rogers with over 500,000 Instagram followers. So that's 500,000 people watching someone snatch and clean and jerk every day. Yep. So that sort of thing, like there weren't 500,000 people that would see a snatch and a clean and jerk all year long in 2009 yeah. Yeah. from the, right? So like not, this is happening every day. Every day that Maddie Rogers posts a video, people are being exposed to this sport, yep. our sport. So in that sense, we're, we have the capability of getting kids from gymnastics, from other places in a lot higher. We, we just have a higher chance of that happening. Um, I just saw a, uh, an American girl snatch 75 kilos for, for doubles and she's 14 years old. So it's yeah. like, we're going to be fine. Like, honestly, she's, yeah, we're going to be fine. And I think that the sport, what you're going to see is the next generation of kids at yeah. the 2024 games and probably into 2028, they're going to actually tiptoe towards the old records yeah. and they might surpass them. I don't want to say, you know, that they're going to surpass them because some of those lifts are absolutely ridiculous. Like the Blagojev snatch and, yeah, no one's even Var come close to that. The Vardanian uh, total. total and the Naeem total and, you know, stuff like that. I just, it's hard for me to believe that that'll be beat. But I think that, you know, an American can do what Koleski may have done back when he was, you know, young and agile. And 17. 17. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I think it is absolutely possible. We, but, um well, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the on the yeah, death of I, the sport or the future I don't of the think, sport? I think it, the way it was going was headed for death. And I think that his his statement in and of itself was symptomatic of the root of the whole problem. And the whole problem was that you had a culture of people that ref, that are – they may not refuse, but they are incapable of considering the sport existing outside of the way they've done it up till now, right? All of Russia, all of you know, the Eastern Bloc countries, all of these places just refuse to step forward to the next generation. They refuse to stop doing the drugs. They refuse. It's, a, it's just like 
they got to 19, you know, 84 and or 88, 1988, the, the greatest year in the world for power sports. Um, you know, they got there and that's it. That's as far as they grew. They just stopped innovating. They stopped thinking, they stopped growing. They stopped doing anything other than how do we keep doing what we're doing? How do we keep taking drugs? How do we keep this going? Right. And, and, and so there was a stagnation. And so the symptom of saying, well, they're born with the drugs, we're going to die with the drugs is actually ridiculous because it leaves out the possibility that what if we get rid of the drugs and the sport kill, continues to grow? What if we change the sport? What if we change the way we do things? So I think that it's a cultural shift that needs to happen now to, hey, we can do this differently. We don't have to exist in a world that we did before, which was drugs are the only way to succeed and the only people that win are through drugs. And the only way to win with that is to bribe and to pay money, right? I mean, you know, talking to those guys was like, they would always say the same stuff. Like, well, I mean, like, yeah, why would you even train if you're not taking drugs? What's the point? You won't make any progress. And, and that's like an absurd, yeah, like I, I, the, the, the logic behind it makes sense. You can sit there and be like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. Right? Like, why wouldn't you like, you're not going to get good enough, but then you step back out of that. You're in that world talking to them. You step back you're like, what's well, fucking ridiculous. Like, okay. Like you could also do it and get as good as you can. And that's that. And maybe there's talented people. I mean, like you know, watch CJ Cummings just front squat 255. Like it was a, I mean, you know, he's a child. Like, yeah. I mean, there's people out there that can do things that we can't, uh, yeah. their muscle, their muscles are made of something that ours are not. Um, but you know, it's like, I think that the systemic problem in the whole sport was just this flawed, stagnant thinking about like, this is the way it's going to be. And, and rightfully so. Right. I mean, if Ion is running a fear based organization that is, you know, oppressing everybody and forcing them to behave a certain way, why would you try something different? Right. Yeah. That, that may not exist. Right. But now, now we have the opportunity to turn around, to make a 180 degree turn and say, Hey, like, let's, let's do this differently. He's not around anymore. He's gone. The leadership that could be in charge could be one that is very, very different and could be the complete opposite. Very transparent, very open, you know, absolute rule following to a T. I mean, things could be very different for everybody. And maybe, maybe in the future, you know, some countries can change their ways and some groups can think differently about it and participate in a different way. Is that possible? I mean, that might be a pipe dream, but we're yeah, at I a just, precipice, you know? It's like, it's kind of like this. Yes, you know, Ion is a, it was a culture of fear and, and the tyranny yeah. of cash that they said, but I'm not so sure that you would call the president of the Bulgarian Federation or, you know, insert <laughs> In, I, I'm not sure you would call them a victim of tyranny. No, no, no. Right? I don't. They're yeah, definitely don't that... they're definitely compliant because it benefits them as yes. well. Yeah. So, so what we're what we're gonna see is there's no benefit. There's no mutually beneficial right. exchange of money that will no longer exist. So, fucking Bulgaria will not give a shit anymore. Right. They, I. What's interesting is they have a couple current athletes who are very, very, very good. Have you seen these guys? I think there's oh, a 70, maybe. there's a 73 who's like top three. Um, and I'm wondering like, how is that even possible? 
How if unless he is they're, natural? Like, is that even? No, they're they're on drugs. They're still doing the same thing. The other the other downside is this, right? Let's say no longer does Ion, who serves as the nozzle, he is the he is you know from the different from a complete opposite perspective, he is controlling the drug testing to the point that he is preventing this insanity of everybody is now like with him in place, there's a rule of law. You follow what he says, you do what he says. So he has control of it with him gone and someone else in charge. It's the wild west. And everybody just decides, well, shit, we're going to figure it's, it out. And we're going to more go, of a roll of the dice now. Yeah. It's a roll of the dice, but you might have way more, way more ridiculous things going on. I mean, obviously China is playing a game. They're playing their own game, but what's to stop everybody else from trying to play the same game they are. Yeah. Right. Will it just blow open the thing, the, the doors to say, look, now it's, you know, now it's like, shit, everybody's going for broke on this and they're just going to do whatever they think they can do. And I mean, you know, it's like when it's hard to say what's going to happen. I don't think the cultural change is going to happen like overnight because they don't want to change that. That's the culture they have. Right. It's not to say that, Oh, you know, like I was saying, the Russians are, Oh, they, you know, they're, they're doing drugs because Ion's making them. It's like, no, they really want to, and they really want to win. And that's what their culture is, you know, and for a large part, like cheating is just a piece of the, you know, it's part of the game. Um, but is it possible that in the future, some of that changes, some of that starts to disappear because the system that's put in place is strong enough and designed well enough that it mitigates the effects that exist, right? If you had to, if everybody had to adhere to a USADA level anti-doping, there's definitely going to be people that get away with it for sure. But there's a lot more that will get caught. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, you know, they were doing great up until whatever test was developed for, uh, you know, Stanazol and they retested 2008 and, or 2012 and 2016. I mean, 60 people got caught. So the possibility that the testing gets better and, and the application of it and the method, the system is strong enough that it, mitigates the effect the drugs would have you could still do them you could possibly get away but the advantage is much smaller right if if the results all dropped to 2017 world's level yeah you're talking a lot different world there very different story right like people you know 85 or you know 85 kilo lifters not doing 182 snatches right? That's not happening a lot. Maybe you're getting a 170, right? How many guys are doing that? 15. Then the margin for error is about making lifts and the sport changes. So, you know, I mean, point being like, yeah, it's not, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for progress. Right. All right. That's probably enough. Yeah. Talking about the McLaren report. Zach will now read it out loud. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be my filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> the longest podcast ever. It's just me reading the McLaren report. Wow, this is a six-hour podcast. That's really strange. Well, Zach, Zach reads in slow speed. So, All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you on the next one. This has been the Training Make Podcast.
Thank you very much. And that's it.